Well, hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to The Messy Table, an ordinary space for real women in perfect stories and the God who's always at work in our mess. Because you know what? We all have messes, both big and small. We know life can be amazing at times, but it can also be hard and complicated and painful and overwhelming. So the goal here at this table is to glorify God as we wade through our own stories and share His faithfulness and to encourage each other by reminding ourselves what really matters, opening up our eyes and recognizing the ways that God is currently working at this particular time in history. If you happen to be new to this highly imperfect space, we're so honored you're here. I'm Jen Jewell, the host of this podcast, which airs every other Tuesday, and we're also partnered with the women's ministry of my church, Life Church. But we say it all the time, it's not just about one specific church or country or leader or denomination. It's about Jesus and what He's already done so that even now heaven can crash into earth. Here at The Messy Table, we're all about the Capital C Church, the global body of Christ, and it's such a fun thing to have women joining us from literally all over the world. So, in the Bible, the book of Luke chapter 15 to be exact, Jesus tells three specific stories about things that are lost. One is about a lost sheep, one is about a lost coin, and one is about a lost son. In each of these stories, the man or woman pursues what's lost. He leaves the 99 other sheep to go after the one. She turns her house upside down until she finds her valuable coin. And the dad stands at the road, waiting and longing and hoping that his rebellious son will come home. So if you don't already know, God is the type who goes after the one. And you know what? He's still pursuing you even now. Well, you are in for a treat today. My guest for episode 36 is Anita Wyatt. Anita is a wife to one and mom of six. She's an outdoor junkie, has a heart of gold, serves in a million ways at our church, and she and her husband Wayne are the types to go after the one. In this remarkable story of adopting a little boy from Ukraine with special needs, they've stumbled into one surprise after another. It's amazing that God invites us to play a part in His story, and the Wyatt family is living proof. So right now, grab your coffee, pull up a chair, and join us at the messy table. Hey girl, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Well, before we get this party started, will you just give everyone a little introduction just about your life, your family, and kind of what makes you tick? Sure, happy to. My name is Anita Wyatt, and I have been married to Wayne for 19 years. I'm officially past the 40 mark, so I'm good to just decline future birthdays. You're done. Yeah. No more birthdays. I'm I'm good. I'm good with 41. I'll just just camp out here for a while. (laughs) You don't look 41. Oh, thank you. At all. Thank you. And 19 years. Yes. That's impressive. Are you guys going to do anything big for 20? Yeah, we kind of talked about it. We should probably revisit that. Yeah. (laughs) It'll be in December. Coming up. Coming up. Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. We would love to. It's kind of a busy time of year around Christmas. Right. Our anniversary. But you don't have to plan it on the anniversary. It could be before or after. Yeah, we need to work on that. I'll bring that up. (laughs) (laughs) We have six kids who are very active. Track, basketball, soccer, musicals, one with therapy, and I feel like I'm forgetting an activity. Probably football. Did mm-hmm. I say that? Maybe. Yeah. We're very active. We love it. We love our church. We serve in Life Kids at South Tulsa Life Church. Woo Shout it's out a to lot Life of fun. Kids. The Yellow Halls. Yes. Where the magic our, happens. That's right. That is one of our favorite times of the week. Our kids serve with us 
and Wayne is the MC and Connect, and I am what they call a live kids coach, where I get to hang out with people in the hall and try to make people feel welcome and comfortable and that the rooms are all set and ready to go. Well, not the rooms, but the wonderful leaders in the room. Yes. <laughs> Um, exercise and outdoors are my happy place. Uh, God really speaks to me through nature. I mm-hmm. just love to be on a hike with Wayne or a bike ride on our bike trail with my earbuds in and a great podcast going. And I would honestly just take that over a manicure or a spa day, really any day of the week. Me too. I just love it. Mm-hmm. I love, love being outside, love being active. As a family, we like to play football in the yard or basketball in the driveway or swim. Just again, playing mm-hmm. <laughs> outside but this leads to my pet peeve okay okay Tell so us. arguing i just can't stand oh girl it. i have two kids and we're constantly breaking up sibling fights like they love each other so much and then they also just will bicker over the silliest thing so you have six yes is it constant you know it it kind of flares up they take turns instigating right i think that's what's really strange and they want to go out. They'll say, "Who? let's go play football in the yard. And it's just assumed that everybody goes out and we divide up into teams and we play. But then somebody just likes to make a jab or something, mm. you know, or they foul and the other person doesn't think it's a foul. And it just like everything comes unraveled. So sports in the yard is what brings it out for your kids. It is. (laughs) And I am on this mission to abolish arguing. I hate it. They'll want to go play a game or have a diving competition. And I'll say, what about an exhibition? Like, what about a diving exhibition? (laughs) It doesn't have to be a competition. (laughs) Can we just have exhibitions? I mean, and then we just, we don't argue and everybody's happy. That's right. (laughs) So, yeah, it just doesn't work. I get a lot of like, mom, that's so lame. So you have a pretty big family, eight people under one roof. How do you do it all and keep everyone alive and fed and all that at the same time? That's a good question. A lot of times, I mean, they are alive and they are all at school right now. And I believe they have food in their stomachs, (laughs) but I just truly don't do it all. It's, I feel like I'm flying by the seat of my pants a lot of the times. I try to get them to do stuff for themselves Mm -hmm. as early as they can. Right. So do you have any tips or tricks you can share with us? I do actually. Okay, so here's something that if you're not already using these, I'm, I'm just telling you, they will change your life. And that is the shout color catchers. Do you know what those are? I think I do, but we don't use them. Should we? Well, they have... Is that where it like absorbs the other colors mm-hmm. or something? Yes. So, so if can... a color bleeds, it doesn't dye everything. Mm. You know, you put a navy shirt in there, it doesn't dye everything like this washed out blue, you know? Right. Yes. Yeah. So we started using these and then I kind of felt like, you know what? I mean, it's this laundry is, I'm like drowning in laundry. I mean, eight people and uniforms and all that kind of stuff. All the time. And so several years ago, you need to wear that twice. It's not dirty. Well, and then it comes back on me if a uniform's not clean. And I'm like, (gasps) I'm scrambling around like, oh, they needed that clean by today. And and I'm just like, this just, I cannot be the dry cleaners. I mean, I just, I I can't do this anymore. On top of everything else, chef and chauffeur. Yes. And one of our kids um, is adopted and that's, we're going to talk about that. And so about the time, I guess, that we probably brought him home, um, our oldest was 11. And I'm like, you got to start doing your own laundry. And half the time, you know, okay, here's the worst. Whenever you're throwing stuff in the washer and you pick like a small stack of folded stuff out of their dirty laundry hamper, Ooh. you're like, uh-uh, no, no. I'm sorry. I'm you done. Know? Yeah. This is now on you. <clears throat> yes. Color so, catchers. No, what is that what it's yeah, called? Yeah, yeah. Shout color catchers. Catch- so starting when she was at 11, she started doing her own laundry. And then the whole, you know, there's just that fear that, well, they're going to shrink something or they're going to dye something blue. We don't buy expensive stuff. And I'm like, throw in a color catcher. So she started doing hers at 11. 
And then um, the next one started shortly after that. Then Luke started at 11. And now I'm training Ainsley right now. Mm -hmm. They are in charge of their laundry. And it is life giving. I'm telling you. <laughs> I love that. It's awesome. And in fact, Ainsley told me the other day, I wasn't home. I told her I would show her how to do her laundry. And then I had to be gone somewhere. And Luke's like, I'll show her how to do her laundry. And I'm like, yes, love it. Perfect. You have arrived as a parent. Well, One of your kids is teaching your other kid how, how to, to do, do laundry. laundry. And so then I asked her, I said, well, so did he sh to show you how to sort stuff? She was like, no, he just threw it all in there and showed me where the color catchers were and said, you throw that in there and put the soap in and keep it on warm. Don't go hot. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. So I just, I just, you know, I'm a big believer. That's awesome. In the shower color catchers. Yeah. So you've been parenting, mothering for a while now. How old is your oldest? 17. 17. Yeah. Getting close so to two knocking decades. knocking on the door of adulthood. That's wild. So looking back over the years, what are some key things you've learned or what would you want to go back and say to the you, maybe as a newlywed or as a young mom, and just tell that girl. Sure. Give her some wisdom. Sure. That you can't do it all. I kind of had this thought that if I was home, that I could manage my house perfectly and manage my family and my kids and get it all done in a day. And it is, that is just so not true. Mm -hmm. Not at all. I would say one very real struggle that I have is the mental struggle of just clutter and disorganization. It's not terrible, but I'm not naturally an organized person. And so that is truly a mental struggle every day. I have to give my expectations to the Lord that... It's not all going to get done. Your house is going to be messy, even though you're living in it and you're there. There's right. just, you know, it's just the way it is. Um, I would also just probably tell her to really prioritize family dinners, you mm -hmm. know, prioritize that family time over activities, guard your family schedule with yeah. a vengeance sometimes mm -hmm. and put relationships over the urgent. Oh, and one more thing that nine o'clock, nine 30 bedtime, it is fleeting. I'm telling you, it's not going to last. Like, enjoy it. I, and then those late nights when you're exhausted, you're just going to be tired when you have teenagers. Mm. You're going to be tired. They stay up late. Because they stay up late and want to talk then. Yes. Or watch silly shows or... Mm. So when your kids are little, you can put them to bed and kind of enjoy your spouse or do whatever you need to do. And mm -hmm. it doesn't happen. Exactly. Later on. It's hard. We're early to bed kind of people. So we would put our kids to bed at 830 when they were little. And yeah. then we were in bed at like 915. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Now we're just nine fifteen hits, and we're so now you're barely just holding our eyes open, but we're up for another two hours. Extra cup of coffee. <laughs> That's right. Uh, okay. Uh, yes. Thank yes. you for preparing me. <laughs> yes. Yes. Nobody really had told me that. I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, you read all the books about pregnancy or about when you have a newborn. Um, maybe even into the toddler years, and then it definitely, for one, you run out of time to read about parenting things, but you need it more the older they get. You do. Uh-huh. You do. They don't need you as much physically, but emotionally. Yeah. A lot different. more. It's just different. Yeah, for yeah, sure. But good. It's all good. Into those coaching years and friendship years, you're kind of out of the discipline and training. It's just different. It is, but it's great. I mean, yeah. I wouldn't trade it. You yeah. know, I wouldn't trade it. It's good. All right. Well, we all know life can be crazy in general, but you have a particularly messy story or a piece to your story, several pieces to your story. And I would just love for you to share that if you would. Sure. Sure. Okay. So I'll kind of start in the present and then I'll backpedal a little bit. Okay. Um. So like I said, we've got six kids. We had five children and then we adopted a little boy and he's from Ukraine and he has cerebral palsy. We now know he's also autistic. 
Um, he is just a bundle of joy. But yes, everyday life is a little messy, mm-hmm. as you can imagine. Um, he needs a lot of help. He's super active and he gets around wherever he wants to go pretty much, but he is nonverbal. Mm-hmm. So our everyday life is a little messy, but I would say our journey to him also has some components to it that I feel like are just God's hand on things. Mm-hmm. So tell us how it started. What led you to Ukraine to adopt Xander? Oh, man. Okay, so let me go back a little bit. When Wayne and I got married, we we thought, we were like, we want to have five kids. That'd be fun. We love to play. And <laughs> like, well, we need to have kids and let's have them while we're young. So, I mean, it was just so immature, but you know, that's just where we were. So anyway, we had Olivia. We were both in graduate school and at OU. He is, uh, he was in dental school and I was in pharmacy school when we met. We met our first year. We got married 14 months later and we had Olivia, mm, let's see, two years later, right before we graduated. So we had her, we moved to Houston for his training. And three days after we moved there, I took her in for her two month checkup at the student health clinic there at UT. And the doctor just spent all kinds of time with her. She was like moving her legs, doing all kinds of stuff. And I was kind of like, huh, she must just think she's a cute kid. (laughs) I mean, I really yeah. did. I was like, she likes her. She, she has lots cute. of extra time on her hands. She's just going to play with my kid and, you know, pulling her legs and stuff. And then before we left that day, she told me she wanted to do an MRI of her back. And then she wanted to do an MRI of her brain. And I thought, well, that's strange. Hmm. They just, you know, we're here in this medical center. They just uh, kind of probably are really cautious, you know. So that kind of started a journey to where then a couple months later, Olivia was diagnosed with spastic diplegia, which is a form of cerebral palsy. And we were told that she may not walk till she was seven or eight and she might always need a walker. So here we are in Houston with no family living in our apartment right there in the medical center. And And your um, world gets rocked. And our world gets rocked. We've got this baby who is going to be our playmate. (laughs) And now we're preparing for, we don't know. Mm -hmm. And um, so God just had totally orchestrated the whole events of us getting down to Houston to begin with. And to back up even a little bit more, it was about a year before Olivia was born that I felt like I truly gave my life to Christ. I had just really run for a long time and just just didn't give him everything. You know what I mean? And I just, I really, at about 19, I just had hit bottom and found myself in my dorm room where I finally, on the floor, just like, God, my life is ending. I just feel like I've made such terrible decisions. And I, I don't know that I really knew him back then. And um, there's a lot of components to that story that, you know, I'm able to share and some of my kids know, and someday I'll share more of that part of my story. But for now, it's definitely a part that propels me forward into, I've been forgiven much. And so I really want to be a part of what God has for me. And so I just laid it all on the table finally at 23 and was like, I'm yours. I'm tired of doing this on my own and whatever you ask, I'm going to do it. So back to where I kind of was. A year later, we had a baby (laughs) and we find ourselves facing special needs. And that I was like, okay, we just, that's where we were on our knees. We were on our knees by her bed every night and praying for her. And we were told she would never outgrow it. She would possibly always need therapy. And we had the best of care where we were. It was just really amazing and really trusting in God at that point. And um, long story short, she met her milestones. She was in therapy twice a week in physical therapy, had this awesome physical therapist. And basically, I kind of think God just chose to heal her. And she never really did things the wrong way because she had such early intervention. And when she was two, we moved back to Tulsa and there was no sign of the spasticity. Wow. And we were like, okay, you know, like God just did this in her. He totally grew our faith. 
totally grew us up at that point. Gave you a new perspective. Yes. New perspective. Very, it was very humbling and very much just the value even of life and of healthy life. I just had this whole new appreciation of what a miracle it is that a baby is born healthy. And if they're not, they're a miracle. And God Mm -hmm. formed them that way for a reason, you know? Mm -hmm. Okay. So I tell you that backstory about Olivia, because that really ties to 10 years later when we adopted Xander. So we had Olivia, then we had four more awesome kids that were healthy, no problems. We were super busy by that point, 10 years later, you know, she's a 10, I think, whenever we were kind of started the journey to adoption. And uh, so here we are with five kids and we had moved to a new neighborhood and we had made some good friends up the street that had four adopted daughters. As we got to know them, got to know their girls, their girls are actually all adopted through an open adoption agency in Tulsa, which means the birth moms are really, I mean, they're kind of invited into activities and the lives of the kids. And it was a completely new concept to me. Mm -hmm. I had never really heard of that before, but it was amazing. It was Mm -hmm. just amazing the way God worked through them and through their girls and the lives of uh, these birth moms. And we got to know their birth moms. I'm friends with one of the birth moms of my friend's adopted daughter. Mm -hmm. And that little girl that they adopted, her older brother is friends with my son, Luke, and is actually going to camp with him this summer. So it's just a like a so crazy cool. thing. Yeah, it's to see God's cool. restoration in a very unique way that we wouldn't expect. Yes, yes. And um, I tie all that in because they were our small group leaders at the church that we used to go to. And um, one night, uh, another guy in our group, he had asked for prayer because he was asked to go to Ukraine to work with kids with special needs. Wayne and I had already decided we were open to adoption really through our friends and just knowing there's any given time there's a kid out there who's in crisis that needs a place to go. And here I'm a stay-at-home mom with five kids. God had brought us through some kind of some crazy stuff early on and life wasn't quite as stressful as what maybe we thought it was going to be. How long were you a pharmacist before you stayed at home? I never worked full time. Mm -hmm. So we had Olivia a month before I graduated from school. Mm -hmm. I did some part time work um, in Houston and in Tulsa. And the last shift I worked was when my now 10 year old, about four days before she was born. Mm -hmm. I have gotten to go uh, to Nicaragua a couple of times with a medical team. And Mm -hmm. Wayne's gotten to go a couple of times to Nicaragua as a team dentist. He does orthodontics. And so it was a little out of his comfort zone to even go as the mm-hmm. team dentist because he's like, I haven't pulled a tooth since dental school, yeah. you know? So it was really, it's been really neat that I've gotten to use those gifts to do that, even though I'm not currently working as a pharmacist. Um, but anyway, our friend was asked to go to Ukraine to work with kids with special needs. And he talked specifically about cerebral palsy. And as he was talking, I just almost like felt myself there. I was just like, oh my goodness, I just want to get those kids up out of these cribs and help them because I know what early intervention can do. Mm. We, we experience that firsthand and a lot of families, like they don't experience that. They may not know that their child has cerebral palsy, which spastic diplegia is a form of cerebral palsy. They may not know that or hear that term until their child is not walking. And then they're fighting this and trying to recover what they've lost and that just wasn't our experience. And so when I hear about these kids, it was kind of that feeling, you know, you hear that term, not on my watch, Mm. that kind of came to mind. And so I told Wayne that night as we were leaving the gathering, I said, maybe we could adopt one of those kids. And he looked at me like I was from (laughs) outer space. Right. (laughs) It's kind of one of those moments I remember where we were, like we were going around this turn in that neighborhood, you know, and he was like, special needs is a whole nother ball game. I don't know about that. I was like, well, you know, I don't know. I'm just, just kind of a dreamer and just thought I'd throw that out there. So anyway, that was August. And then, um, 
I didn't even know if our friend ended up going to Ukraine. We didn't really follow his story. We didn't actually meet as a small group for a few months. And then we got together again. It was November 13th. It was exactly a week after Orphan Sunday, actually. Mm. I kind of, as I looked back, I discovered at the end of our gathering, our leader said, hey, you went to Ukraine. Tell us about your trip. So he talks about these kids with cerebral palsy. He talks about being left in their cribs. And one of the big components for these kids is this is a baby orphanage. He went with a team of therapists that had worked with this orphanage for a few years. They'd go, at the time, they were going a couple of times a year. And they had a good relationship with this orphanage. But in Ukraine, if you have special needs, you can't go on to the next orphanage. You go to an institution. At least that's how mm -hmm. it was seven years ago. So he talked about this one child in particular who was four months away from aging out of this baby orphanage, and he would have gone to an institution. Mm. And what we were told was that particular institution had running water two hours out of the day. Mm. And these kids were just kind of left. They were just kind of abandoned. And, and that was it. That was kind of the end of the road for them. Um, so anyway, he talked about this one particular kid. He said he is just the sweetest little guy. He lights up when people interact with him. He can't walk. He can't talk. And he is all boy. <laughs> Remember, he said that a few times. Like, he's everywhere. He's over here. He's over there. He just crawls. And he's so energetic. And he is all boy. But he needs he needs a family. He just said so matter-of-factly, he needs to be adopted. And the way he said it was almost like, you know, that kid needs a ride home from school. I mean, just so like matter of fact, like what's the big deal, you know? And so I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, man, okay, that would be so cool to have him in my family. But I, you know, Wayne doesn't seem to be on board with that. So I need to convince somebody else in my family to adopt him. So I'm mentally like thinking, oh, maybe I can talk my sister into it, you know? And then we go to bed that night and Wayne's just kind of laying there. And we always just sort of say, well, what's on your mind? You know, what, what's going on? And um, so I asked him, I was like, so what's on your mind? And he said, well, I can't stop thinking about Sasha. Mm -hmm. And Sasha was his nickname for Alexander. And I said, you can't stop thinking about him. And he was like, yeah, I just feel like we should check into it and maybe, maybe adopt him. Mm -hmm. I was like, really? Well, okay. <laughs> if you think so, you know, knowing mm. that I'm the one that throws out the crazy ideas, mm. not my husband. <laughs> and so we just kind of started that journey. And it was, that was November 13th. And um, August 13th, we took him out of the orphanage. So it was nine months later. I mean, you know what? God puts his mark on things sometimes. And he knows you're going to need to look back and see those marks because mm. life is not easy. And that journey was it's almost like you had a nine month pregnancy. Exactly. I know. I know. Which is crazy because my other ones were about two weeks shy of that. So <laughs> it was my one that actually kind of happened on time. Um, and the process was actually really smooth. Um, most people, it'll take them a couple of years, but because he had special needs, mm -hmm. our adoption facilitator, she petitioned for us to go out of turn and Ukraine honored that not mm -hmm. on the U.S. side, but on the Ukraine side. And so we were there uh, July and it was about a seven week process, two trips, and we brought him home in August. Now, did you ever have a hesitancy with the special needs part? Oh, absolutely. I was feeling like, what are we doing all along? I mean, I, I hesitate to compare us to a family that would just sell everything and move overseas because we did not do that. But it was definitely, we're like, I mean, this is a lifelong commitment that we're making. We feel like God's called us into this. And I would just always look back to that point when I was 23 and I remember where I was and I said, God, I'll do whatever you call me to do no matter what. And I'm like, I feel like this is one of those things. Mm -hmm. But in my journal, I would journal every day practically. And I would constantly, my prayer was, okay, God, you open doors and you close doors. Mm -hmm. And if, if this is not from you, then close the door mm -hmm. and help us be ready to accept that. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, there's adoptions that fall through and that's not an uncommon thing. 
And um, so the whole walk was really scary, you know, that whole time as we're filling out paperwork and sending stuff off and just crazy stuff that you do. And I had a friend one time, they were going through the adoption process and she said, we've got everything but the neighbor's dental records. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of how it feels. Yeah. You know, you feel like they just like examine your whole life. Mm -hmm. And um, so the door never closed. I mean, it never closed. It stayed open and we didn't have to redo anything. It just all went through. So now when you did the in-country <laughs> visits, how long did you have to stay each time? Oh, okay. Yes. That's a really good question because we went over there with one-way plane tickets. We left our five kids in the front yard with a nanny Oh my gosh. and lots of awesome people on board, our wonderful parents. <laughs> so grandparents, nanny, a really, really good friend from church who had been a church secretary for years, basically was our personal assistant during that time. Girl, that takes courage. It was the scariest thing I've ever done. I mean, I literally, I was so choked up when we left the kids. I couldn't even say bye. I was just like trying to get in the car, in my in-laws car. They were taking us to the airport before the kids saw me cry. <laughs> and I think I looked back and I'm like, mom, you're crying. You know, one of those deals. So anyway, we left with one-way plane tickets, not knowing how long we would be gone. Once we got there, we were there the first time for 17 days. And then there's a 10-day wait period between when you go to court and when you can actually take them out of the orphanage. And we decided to come home during that time. That was really hard because then you're leaving one of your kids to go see your kids. Mm. But even on the home front, we left our five kids in the yard because one of our kids needed us. Mm. We just hadn't met him yet, you know? So it's a really, it's a hard place to be. And um, we came home and Wayne kind of checked on things at the office. And I decided to stay home that time. And he went back with our 11-year-old, with Olivia, the one who... Mm had had that diagnosis and then ended up being fine. It was kind of a cool thing because a year before we had decided to get the kids passports and just Out because we really didn't know how much it was going to cost. So we got there to buy them. We're like, why are we getting the passports? This is expensive. But she had a passport. And mm. so we could decide on a whim. You're going to go to Ukraine with dad next week, you know? So I know that sounds really crazy and I can't imagine doing it again, but I stayed home. She went with Wayne back to get her brother and they were there for about another almost three weeks to pick him up because he had to get a passport and you, you know, you take the picture, you send it off, you wait for it. Same deal. He had to get a visa. He had to get a new birth certificate. Mm -hmm. Now yeah. I know you described for me some of the conditions in that orphanage and around that area. Can you kind of let everybody know what that was like? Sure, absolutely. The orphanage, they took really good care of him. The mm -hmm. director is a wonderful man. He would really protect those kids. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, our son, he turned five in April mm -hmm. and we didn't get there until August. Mm -hmm. So this, this director would do what he needed to do to keep these kids safe. Mm -hmm. Just put it that way. And um, they kept them fed. They kept them warm. In fact, if it was below 85, they were in a jacket when they went outside. Oh, my word. I know. <laughs> it's kind of funny. We'd take him outside. Like, no, 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 you got to put a jacket on. And so loving people at this orphanage. However, um, it wasn't a home. He had 16 caregivers, you know, through a seven-day period. Some of them were there just collecting a paycheck, and some of them truly cared about the kids, mm -hmm. you know, just like you might imagine here. Um, I kind of liken it to dropping them off at a short-term daycare and then just never picking them up. Mm -hmm. You know, he was just kind of in this room all day, and they would do sponge baths. They had little bowls that they would use for bathroom time. They didn't have a toilet in there. He had never seen a toilet wow. from what we could tell. When he finally did see one, it was pretty interesting. But around there, around that area, just a lot of sadness. People on the streets just laying there drunk or passed out, poor, begging. It was hard. We'd walk two miles to get there mm -hmm. twice a day. 
So every morning we could visit him for a certain time period. And then every afternoon we could go back to visit him. So it was two miles there, two miles back. Then the afternoon, two miles there, two miles back. Mm -hmm. So we did a lot of walking, a mm -hmm. lot of walking, a lot of thinking, a lot of praying. So yeah, that was kind of how it was there at the time. Now it's part of the area that is really in war. It's like really war -torn hard. Area. It's a war-torn area. Did you tell me that you saw a picture out of the window that you were looking out and it's just all been bombed? Yes. So our, our facilitator, Olga, she had taken some pictures. This was a year later. So maybe it was a year and a half later. About a year and a half after we brought him home, so much had changed there. I mean, we thought it was our timing when we adopted him. Little did we know that a year and a half later, it probably wouldn't have happened, mm. you know. And What um, happened to those kids from that orphanage? Well, at the time, when Olga sent me these pictures and there was, you know, military tanks up and down the street, bombed out buildings, like apartments that we had seen when we were there were just bombed out and black. There was a time when uh, she Skyped me and she said, you know, this is the situation. There's been two Russian militants come in. They've sent the kids upstairs. There's only about 30 kids in the orphanage then. And this was again a year after we had brought him home, year and a half or so. And they've sent him upstairs. You know, they're rationing their water. And I don't know, it sounded terrible conditions. And it sounded like they were wanting to use that orphanage as a staging ground for the battle that was going on. And so just through, we prayed, we let the people on this side know to really be praying for that situation. They had taken the orphanage director and I don't know where he was at that time. And they were telling him that they were going to take these kids to Russia. And he said, they're not Russian. You're not taking these kids. And so, I mean, he, he's, like I said, he's a courageous man. Mm -hmm. But um, anyway, finally they gave him a day and they said, all right, you can take these kids. You can take them two hours north to another orphanage. You get one ambulance. You can't use your people. This is it. And so they transported all those kids out of the orphanage. The orphanage is now up and running again. And from what I can understand, the things in that town are pretty stable, mm -hmm. but not, it's not like safe probably to just travel there for no reason, yeah. you know, right. Yeah, <laughs> just be like, Hey, sounds fun. Let's go there for vacation. Right. Yeah, exactly. Now there's also a really cool backstory kind of with his biological family. So can you kind of go into that piece of the story? Sure. Yes. So I think. We were partly influenced by our friends, the Redmonds that have that have the open adoptions and how they pour into the birth moms and us knowing some of those birth moms. It's just, I think it's natural, honestly, to wonder about your adoptive child's sure. birth parents. Absolutely. And I don't know if we had more or if I had more of a curiosity and a desire to want to touch her life because of the example that I had seen before me mm -hmm. here locally. But um, as the war was kind of ramping up, Olga had notified some of us that she was open for work because things were so bad. There weren't adoptions going on. She had time on her hands. If you need stuff translated, if you want to do a birth family search, I'm available. This was December. I kind of think I emailed her back before I even asked Wayne <laughs> and was like, hey, we might be interested in that, in that whole birth family thing. I didn't think we would find anything. So then I checked with Wayne. Hey, can we do this? And he's like, well, okay. <laughs> so I wasn't getting my hopes up. I thought, you know what? This is really kind of out there because what we knew about him was he was two pounds, 10 ounces when he was born. They had no record of his birth in the hospital. He was in the NICU for four months and went straight to the orphanage. There was never an interaction with a birth mom in the hospital. She mm -hmm. didn't come to court to sign off on paperwork. So he was an orphan from, you know, from the mm -hmm. time he was four months old. But I still wanted to do it. I was like, what if she was one of those ladies laying on the street corner, you know, Drunk, that we yeah. walked past every single time and I just didn't even know it, you know? I mean, adoption is a beautiful thing, but beauty comes from ashes. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Well, it's really, it's not God's intention, but God uses it. And there's so many beautiful, amazing things that come from it. But yeah. he gave that baby to her. Yeah. And so you clearly, God had put her on your heart. Yeah. I mean, I just can't even imagine. I'm wondering, you know, there's a child out there. I wonder what happened to him or, you know. So you were almost seeing it from her perspective as well. I was. And I thought, you know, I don't think we'll find anything, but we got to try. So I I hired Olga to do the job on a Wednesday, sent her pictures, sent her a letter um, with some questions and that sort of thing for whoever she might find or not find. And then I just kind of like, I'm just going to forget about it. I didn't know. It might might be a five-month process for all I know, or she might say I couldn't find anything. Um, So that was a Wednesday. On Monday, I got an email from her that said, Anita, my search was successful. I have old pictures. I have new pictures. I need time to put together a report. I'm like, how do you need time to put together a report? Like, you know, I just didn't even understand where this was all going. But Wayne and I were like, oh my goodness, like what have we opened up? And it's kind of crazy too, because I had this, um, this is kind of a little side note, but we brought him home when he was five. And so for his sixth birthday, we had this party and invited our friends. And I was sitting there that morning. And I remember I even posted on Facebook when I posted about his birthday, I said, this is like his first birthday party. Mm-hmm. And he was in the NICU for four months and I've never, I didn't experience having a preemie, but I kind of think when you do that first birthday, you invite nurses and they become like family because they took care of your baby and gave them life. And I'm never going to know who those people are. Like, you know, you're almost like picturing like these bodies without faces, (laughs) like sounds kind of eerie, but (laughs) you know what I mean? Like God had angels on the ground there that day. And on this side of heaven, we're never going to know. We're not. We're not going to know who that was. And so that was kind of my mindset as we entered his sixth birthday in April. And here we are, December, just several months later. So Olga gets back to us with her report. She said, I went, I went to the town. It's in Eastern Ukraine. It's a small community. I went to the address on file, came to an empty house. No one on that street really knew her. They said it had been abandoned for a long time. And I mean, there's like snow on the ground. I mean, it's December. It's really cold there. So I'm just like, okay. Like, How did you even do She started this? knocking on doors. I'm like, I wouldn't knock on doors. I would have said, sorry, Anita. Thanks for the job. You know? <laughs> it was a good try. I'll take your I money. I know. I feel so, I'm just, I'm so lazy. And anyway, and then she said there was one guy on that first street that kind of knew a little bit about this woman. And so he took them like 10 blocks over or something like that. And they knocked on the door of another house. It's just old, rundown, you know, little house. And it was empty. So she went to the house across the street and knocked on that door and asked that woman, do you know Ludmila Shevchenko? That's the name of of his birth mother. And that woman said, yes, I do know her somewhat. She rented that house across the street for a short time. And she said, and actually, I delivered her baby in that house six and a half years ago. (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) So that's where I always get choked up because I'm like, that woman, her name's Vera. She was one of those angels. Mm. And he was born at two o'clock in the morning. I just want to stop and say, you're one of those too, though. Oh. (laughs) Because a year and a half later, those orphans that were in that orphanage were taken somewhere else. You don't even know for sure where they are now. And who knows with him having severe special needs, who knows if he would have even been alive today. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's... It's all like God's story and he's chosen to weave us into the tapestry of Xander's story. And I mean, it's just, I'm just in awe. I'm like, you know, for whatever reason, <laughs> he allowed us to be a part of it. But, um, and then for us to connect with 
the woman who delivered him, who she just said she felt like something was wrong across the street, went over there at 2 a.m. and found Ludmila alone delivering a baby. Wow. God woke her up. Yeah. I mean, maybe she heard some screaming. Maybe. You know? I mean, I'd be screaming. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. No epidural. Come uh, on. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? And so she called for an ambulance. They didn't get there in time. She delivered him. She cut the umbilical cord. And I, mean, I wouldn't even know how to do that. I mean, yeah. I would be freaking out. And then they took Ludmila and him to the hospital. And then at that point, Ludmila just didn't have any interaction with him, you know? And I mean, I would question that. I'd say, well, how could you do that? Well, she was basically an orphan herself. Mm -hmm. I mean, she couldn't take care of herself. Mm -hmm. She was doing what she felt was best for her child, whom she loved, and that was to let him go. Mm -hmm. And that's so common everywhere in the world. Whenever someone has been through severe abandonment themselves, they're more likely to kind of continue that vicious cycle, not because they don't have a heart, but because they don't even know. Mm -hmm. That's why the awareness piece and fostering and adoption is so, you're right. so huge. Yeah. Yeah, so um, Vera kind of gave him the, the birth story, and then she said, I can take you to Lumila if you want to go to her. And, of course, we're like, yeah, you know, Olga said, sure. And so it wasn't that far off. She just takes her to a walk to a pig barn that was just kind of, I think it was just, I think it's just mainly kind of a street over. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, in the letter that Olga sent us, she said, we went to Ludmila. She lives in a pigsty. So I'm picturing a really messy house. You know, you talk about a messy table. I'm picturing like a really messy house. But no, I mean, she, she went on to say there's a little partition between her and the herd of pigs that she takes care of in exchange for a meal a day and a roof over her head. And Can you imagine? No, I mean, I just was like, I mean, yeah, it was so unimaginable that I thought I was misreading it. You know, I just couldn't even like wrap my mind around it mm. and um, that the life that she was living and and so they go to her and they tell her about this little boy. And like I said, he was her Sasha. I believe she did name him um, or maybe the name was given. Maybe the name Alexander, which is Oleksandr in Ukrainian Alexander, you know, kind of that that name um, because it has to do with the surnames and the family names and all of that. But anyway, he was her Sasha. That's a common short name for mm -hmm. Alexander, for Oleksandr. And uh, she wanted, so I said, do you want to know where he is? And of course she was in shock and wanted to know. And she wrote us a letter that day and she just apologized. Oh. She said, I'm so sorry. I can't, I couldn't take care of it. It was to him, I think, and to both of us. I'm so sorry. I couldn't take care of you. I'm so thankful for your family. I mean, it was just like, I couldn't even imagine. I was mm -hmm. like, Okay, God, how can you be this good to us that you're allowing us to have this, you know, relationship with this, with him, with her? And um, so anyway, that's how that all kind of started. That's where she was whenever we located her. And um, it's been life changing for me to have that relationship, to know I'm not only raising a, a baby that God allowed us and trusted to us that's his, but I'm raising somebody else's baby. <laughs> <laughs> and this relationship has continued. Yes. Yes. So we found her in December and we got in touch with a missionary actually, um, who is from this area. We didn't know him, but a friend of mine knew him and I just kind of out of the blue contacted him and said, Hey, I found my son's birth mom. I'm trying to send some stuff to Ukraine. <laughs> and <laughs> he was very kind to, to respond. And he took some stuff over to Olga, some of his hair clippings and a little handprint thing we made. And a blanket that my mom made that said Sasha on it that we had sent that he had in the orphanage. 
and some th- some personal items. And so that was just a couple weeks later. And, and oh, on top of that, Ludmila had given Olga all of these pictures, like yellowed pictures that were of, that she had saved. She lived in a pig barn, but she obviously had a box of some things um, that were meaningful to her. And she just gave them to Olga and said, give them to him. You know, grandparents, mm. pictures of his mm. maternal grandmother, pictures of her when she was 20 she years old. She still had a mama's heart and she loved her baby. She did. She did. And of the other two boys that are also not a part of her life anymore that are older, much older than him. So I told Olga, I said, just give those back to her. Let her keep those. We have digital copies, you know. So she goes back to her two weeks later and, and Ludmila was so confused. She said, well, how are you getting this stuff so fast? And how can she have these pictures while I have these pictures? And Olga said, well, email, internet, you know, she was like, I don't know what that is. (laughs) Oh gosh. Yeah. Wow. No concept of computers, internet, email. She probably thought it was fake. Like, how can this happen? Yeah. She might've felt kind of rejected. Like, well, they don't want them, you know? Yeah. But I was afraid to even have Olga try to mail them to us because what if they didn't make it? Right. So, um, so yeah, this has continued and, um, we just kind of felt like God led us to her. I mean, the way we found her was was so roundabout and finding Vera first. We wouldn't have found her in a pig barn. I don't think Olga would have found her. She wouldn't have gone looking in pig barns. She was knocking on doors of houses. And um, so it has continued, and we've just been able to really share the love of Jesus with her and include her in his life. And about every four to six weeks, I just wrote her on Sunday. We are able to um, correspond with her really through Olga's in-laws who live 45 minutes away from her. Mm-hmm. And able to encourage her and provide some support and that sort of a thing. To but kind you of guys, I want you to know, because Anita is not going to say this, like Anita is hiring people. She is paying money oh. to go after these people <laughs> because every child, adult, human person is intrinsically valuable to God yeah. in the craziest way. You are being the hands and feet of Aww. Jesus through technology, through using whoever you can find, missionaries. Oh, well, it's, thank you. It's beautiful. Thank you for saying that. It has. It's just been truly amazing too because um when we contacted her that december it was right before that area that russia was trying to occupy donetsk region and she's in the eastern part of that and um we weren't able to have contact with her for about four months because everybody was just kind of hunkered down and they couldn't even travel in and out from one town to another through roadblocks and that's when the orphanage was under fire and she's sending me these pictures and it was just so surreal too um kind of a side note but she sent me a news article about these kids in his orphanage that were being moved. And there's one little boy in particular, it was on a, like a live feed on the news there. And this director's holding him and he's wearing the same clothes and the same hat that Xander wore one of the days we went to go visit him. And it's ironic. Here's the deal. It was a Texas Longhorns hat. (laughs) That probably had like been donated. Had donated. Somebody had donated when they'd gone over there, you know, probably years before. Uh, but one of the times we went to go well, visit it's memorable him. memorable for you. It is. We went to go visit him one morning, and there he is sitting there, and they've got him dressed. They always had hats on him, you know, hats and jackets, and he's wearing a Texas long In 85 hat. degree weather. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we were like, okay, this is a little bit funny. Yeah. Here we are, OU grads. Yeah. My husband, he's, <laughs> he's an Arizona Wildcat. So he, not a huge deal to him. Right. But you're like, well, no, no. I mean, it was just so funny. We're like, we come to Ukraine. We come to visit our child who someone else's, you know, our dresser will be our child. And he's wearing a Texas Longhorns hat. Like, <laughs> how do you how do you get there? These people don't even speak English. Mm-hmm. They don't they probably don't even know what it says. Mm-hmm. But the rivalry runs deep. <laughs> it does. So that was a really kind of a funny part of like when we were there. But so then here I am. She sends me this 
this whole news thing. I'm like, that's just so surreal. Like here, this kid is being transported to another orphanage because these Russian militants are taking over, trying to take over this orphanage and he's wearing the same clothing that our son had been wearing, mm-hmm. you know? Anyway, so, so we weren't able to contact her for several months. So we didn't know what happened to her. We just, we couldn't get to her. Mm-hmm. And then it was the August after that, they went to go visit her and um, she had had Ukraine. She said the Ukrainian army had been camped out in the vegetable garden next to her pig barn, you know, that she lived in. And she said, although it was scary, at least it was the Ukrainian army, you know, that kind of a deal. She was so weak, she could even hardly carry, like, the letter and the stuff that we had sent. She was just so weak. And, you know, she suffered from addiction terribly. And So what um, are some things that you say to her in these letters? Um, initially, the letter I wrote to her after we found her, it was this 10-page letter, small sheets of paper, like, out of my journal. Just, I mean, the whole gospel message. For whatever reason, I don't even know what I wrote. I should go back and read it someday. But I felt like God was saying, share the gospel with her without quoting a Bible verse. Mm. And I don't know why. But that's what I did. And I sent it to her through that missionary. I had him hand deliver it. And of course, everything's interpreted. She speaks Russian. She doesn't know a bit of English. I don't know any Russian. It's all through Olga, who's our, you know, bilingual, (laughs) super smart (laughs) Ukrainian woman. And, but every letter, we just share the hope of Jesus with her. I ask her how she's doing. I ask her how the weather is, if she's got work going on. And she's been working for a lady for about a year where she works in her vegetable garden. Um, but that's in the cold. And the one time they went and visited her just probably two months ago, and they said her hands were so wet and cold that she couldn't hold the stuff they brought her. And she makes about a dollar a day doing mm-hmm. what she does. I mean, it's just, it's just really, really sad. But yeah, we just share how he's doing. We send pictures. Mm-hmm. I try to send pictures of him with his teacher or his life kids leader. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorites. I've sent letters from other people that have mm-hmm. that work with him on occasion. Like his teacher last year wrote her a letter and his aide from school wrote her a letter. Um, but just sharing the hope of the gospel. And mm-hmm. I tell her, I'm like, here's what I need you to pray for this month. You know, just mm-hmm. you're a part of this. You're you're a part of his story. You're on board. This is how you can pray for him. Mm amazing. I mean, (laughs) I know you don't feel like a hero, but it's so inspiring to me and you and your husband. And then also my sister-in-law and brother-in-law who Xander and my nephew Tanner, who is also severe special needs, who has been adopted. They're actually in the same class. Yes. I saw him yesterday. I was up there. He's such a handsome boy. Oh, he is. And I'm telling you, Brooke dresses him really cute. (laughs) (laughs) She does. You guys are all truly amazing because it is a hard, hard life. And there's so many beautiful things to it, but it's also hard. And I just, when I think of your story, the other day at church, we were singing Reckless Love, which is by Corey Asbury with Bethel Music. And I just kept thinking of you guys and of my sister and brother-in-law. And I just want to read some of those lyrics, but oh, that'd be great. Um, it says, Oh, the overwhelming, never ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never ending, reckless love of God. And I think special needs is one of those things. You know, I always kind of, I'm comfortable wrestling with God. I'm fine with it. I come yeah. to him with my hard questions uh-huh. and it is one that I don't understand. Yeah. And that there are just a lot of hard aspects to it, you know, but I know that God obviously uses it. I trust his promises. I trust his character, but this, and those lyrics of that song is just such a picture to me of the value of human life. And that's cool. You guys being a physical picture of that, of the gospel of Jesus who chases us down because we all have special needs. We all, we all have issues. We do. We all have stuff going on. And 
man, thank you. Oh. Thank you for being that example. Oh, well, I, I thank you for saying those kind words. I mean, it is tough. It is really tough some days. And that's why I'm so thankful that God puts markers on things so that when you question, was I really supposed to do this? Is this really what you had for us? You can look back and see that only he could have orchestrated the events. Only he could have orchestrated, you know, a nine-month adoption from overseas and the way we found Ludmila. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's not a coincidence. And even if it's a thankless job right now, I mean, you really are storing up treasures in heaven. And I know that's not why you do it. But yeah. um, again, you're not going to see the reward this side of heaven. Right. But it doesn't mean that God doesn't see and that yeah. he doesn't know, you know. Right. And yeah, and we're just really praying for some things for him right now. I, I think I, told, I mentioned that when he was five, he couldn't walk, he couldn't talk. Um, he started walking at six years old mm. with intervention, just getting here and starting intervention and the therapies and the doctors and the treatments that are available was just incredible how it physically mm-hmm. opened up his world. Yeah. And we're still working on the component of communication, yeah. but it's getting better every day. And we just celebrate every little step that he makes. What's um, one of your biggest challenges that you have right now? One of the biggest challenges is probably... It has nothing to do with the physical component, but it would be more the behavioral component. Mm -hmm. Because he can't communicate, he tends to claw and pull hair and Mm -hmm. do some things like that that aren't appropriate. And so that can make it hard at home. That can Mm -hmm. make it hard at school. Mm -hmm. And um, Brooke and I had such a great walk and a great visit the other day. And when I met her, you introduced us, you know. And she said, yeah, well, school's going good. But Tanner comes home with claw marks on his neck. (laughs) She told me this. That's my my kid. I'm like, I am so sorry. And she's like, it's not your fault. Yeah. That's what she said. She said it could have just as easily been my kid. You know, you can't control it. That's the danger of getting together with another mom from your kid's class. (laughs) But But um, she understands and you understand and you can. I mean, God is just so good. Even just we're starting a new kind of therapy. And I took him down to Houston to meet my daughter's therapist and get her insight in a roundabout way. She led us to a certain kind of therapy that connected us directly to the occupational therapist that serves in life kids with us wow. that buddies with him every Are you kidding Sunday. Me? No, it's just crazy. That's crazy. So she saw him for the first time on Monday and as a therapist and not as a life kids leader. So we're working, working with her on some things and he's going to try a camp this summer. It's just, you know, God is good. And mm-hmm. I think he has great things still in store for Xander. I don't think that he has you know, just hit a wall that he's not going to cross over, but it can be hard at home. I will say, and I I think this is kind of common is there's a lot of anxiety around food. Mm -hmm. And I, I bring that up because I don't think that it was necessarily something in the orphanage. I know. I mean, we, that's what we thought. We were like, Oh, well, they just didn't feed him enough. So we'll feed him more food. I don't think that's it. He didn't gain weight for like six months living in our house. I think it was more probably in utero and malnutrition that just as his little brain was developing, it was just developing in this scarcity kind of setting. So that's hard. Yeah, that's hard. And one really cool update with Ludmila is that she's not in that pig barn anymore. She's living back in a house that a family member owns. So that's really cool. And she's mm. not drinking anymore from our knowledge. She's yeah, not. That's great. So she's doing much better. And she says in her letters, I have hope now. I have a family. I didn't have a family before. Oh just word. loves to see pictures of her little Sasha. So it's pretty cool. Mm. Yeah. When you say she has a family, does she mean you? Yeah. She's talking about us and about him. Oh, that's precious. I know. I know. It's pretty neat. Very cool. 
All right. Well, we're getting low on time. So we would just love to hear about any resources you love. Is there something that you would want to recommend to us all? Sure. Okay. Well, first of all, I love our sermons from Life Church every week. They just feed me and teach me so much. And Craig's leadership podcast mm-hmm. and Andy Stanley's leadership podcast. Uh, it's your move with Andy Stanley. Those are just my two favorite teachers. Yeah. And um, also, I love my She Reads Truth Bible. Mm-hmm. I'm just a paper person. I like the quietness of just having my Bible and nothing else and not having to have my phone. Oh, I love you version too. But the She Reads Truth Bible has really big margins, so you can kind of make your own notes and mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's a favorite of mine. Yeah. Um, I love the book, The Hole in Our Gospel mm-hmm. by Rich Stearns. It really opens your eyes to the world mm. and to the need around the world. And I feel like that's important. Yeah. And one of my favorite recent books is Scary Close, as I've even kind of wrestled with how to talk about some things in my past and really wanting to share those with my kids and people close to me. That book has been a really good resource on just dropping the mask and finding true intimacy. I've listened to it twice as an audiobook. Yes, you can quote it for us. Oh, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> well, what is one final word of encouragement you're just dying to share with us before you go? Oh, I would just say, you know what? Our life is so short and God has so much work out there that he would love to invite us into. Mm-hmm. Just have the courage. Have the courage that when you feel a little nudge, don't blow it off. You know, give him everything and just do what he calls you to do. And it's not easy, but easy is boring, you know? It's not easy, but it's valuable. Amen. Yeah. Man, you're awesome. <laughs> oh, thank you. You really well, are. I'm so thankful to be on here. I'm honored to know Love you it. and thankful that you took the time to share your story. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Jen. Love the messy table. Well, one more quick update since we recorded this. Anita and Wayne actually arranged for Ludmila to meet with one of her other sons in the Ukraine, whom she hadn't been in contact with for years. Guys, this is all kinds of messy, outside of the lines, and still in process. But don't you see it? God is working even as we speak. So my final question to you, to myself, and really to all of us is, are we allowing God to use us, to speak through us right where we are, even though we most likely feel inadequate and don't believe what we have to offer is enough. But God says in Isaiah 50 verse two, is my arm too short to deliver you? He's the one who makes things happen. However, one of the greatest mysteries of God is that he chooses to use us, imperfect people, to spread his good news and make his name known around the world. He goes after the one and we should too. Well, I just wanna remind you that you can subscribe to the Messy Table podcast for free in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Stay updated on the latest happenings by joining my email list at jenjewel.com and follow the Messy Table podcast on Instagram. We truly are so thrilled that you took time to join us today. If it impacted you in any way, let us know on iTunes or share on social media. And remember, as you go about your week, yes, life is messy, but God is at work in the mess.